Shabbat Shalom. This is Obadiah, part two of the Edomite, Sephardic, Ashkenazi confederacy over biblical Israel and the fight for dominance. I got to say it two weeks in a row, my extra long title. Before we get into the teaching, though, I want to make a couple of announcements to visit us at um, milkandpunny.com. And we've got these great calendars you can buy after Shabbat on the Book of the Covenant calendar. You might be able to see that. These were shot in Israel recently, beautiful, pin them up, and you've got all your feast dates, you've got all of your Shabbat, you've got your Torah portion readings, great to keep on track and plan to come visit us at the feast. So again, beautiful photography, beautifully put together, milkandpunny.com, and um, we also have our calendar club that you can join by going to um, TorahToTheTribes.com. That is on Friday nights, which Mario and Charlene are hosting. And then we also have got a Shabbat club that meets at 9 o'clock in the morning Pacific Standard Time on Shabbat that I got to partake of today, which was super fun. Great time to have fellowship. And um, you can find that on our website as well or contact Mario at TorahToTheTribes.com for an invite to the Shabbat Club, which I highly recommend if you're out there in the nations and you want to have some fellowship and connectivity. So let's turn to Obadiah. We looked at last week this great confederacy between the Edomites, and we looked and we established the Edomites made a confederacy. They came into the land and they took the identity of the Jews, and then later we saw in the teaching how this then was turned on their heads, and later in the beginning of the 20th century, again the Ashkenazi came in and took their identity as the Jews, and this is the duplicity that we see with Edom, and Edom's downfall is because of the confederacies and the alliances that they have made. That was Obadiah part one, and now let's jump right into the text. We're in chapter one. There's only one chapter, 13th verse though. Let's look at verse 13. You should not have entered into the gate of my people in the day of their calamity. Now remember, using the Torah as the foundational text, remember we saw that um, Jacob went and met his brother Esau. That was Jacob's trouble. That was his first trouble, which is a preliminary for Jacob's great trouble or his great tribulation. So Jacob had two tribulations. Jacob, Israel has two tribulations, a lesser tribulation and then the great tribulation. And that's found in Jacob's life. When Jacob divided his house into two camps, that was his time of trouble. But when was Jacob's great tribulation? When his son Joseph's clothes were returned to him covered in animal blood. That was his great tribulation. So Israel, in the end of days, the teaching is, is that Israel is going to have a 
a lesser tribulation called the time of Jacob's trouble, which is going to be when there's going to be much tumult and much um, trouble over and around the earth as a preliminary shake-up before the great tribulation. So, two tribulations, the time of Jacob's trouble and the time of the great tribulation. But here we see that there is this time of calamity. Yes, you should not have looked idly upon their affliction in the day of their calamity, nor have laid hands on their wealth in the day of their calamity. Verse 14. Neither should you have stood in the crossway to cut those of this that did escape. Neither should you have delivered up those of his that did remain in the day of distress. We talked about how this is really a trifold prophecy. Beginning again when Edom made a confederacy, an alliance with the Babylonians at the time of the destruction of the first temple. Then secondly, we saw how the Edomites had infiltrated the hierarchy in Jerusalem at the time of the Roman occupation. And how this second part of the cycle was when the Romans came and sacked Jerusalem, the Edomites made a confederacy with them. Now what we're seeing is that we are living in this final day where we're seeing the confederacy of the Edomites, the Ashkenazi, already identified last week in chapter 1 um, of um, Obadiah, or I should say part 1 of Obadiah. We've now established that the Edomites are the Ashkenazi, the Sephardim, that have taken the identity of the Jews and have made alliances and confederacies Confederacies with the nations, primarily the world orders or the banking finance cartels, particularly within the state of Israel, the Bank of England, Wall Street, and of course the European Union Bank. But we'll get into that a little bit more. But that confederacy is going to come toppling down and going to be exposed in this third and final cycle, and it will end with. Israel being caught on fire, two-thirds going to destruction, a third remaining, and then, when then, the flame of Joseph will return and lick up the remnants and take the land because Joseph has always had the title deed to the land because Israel, Jacob, gave his name not to Judah, But he placed his hands upon Ephraim and Manasseh, the sons of Joseph, and bestowed his name Israel. So anybody that tries to steal the name of Israel from the sons of Joseph is nothing more than a confederate apostle, um, excuse me, apostate, imposter, if you will. And that's what we're dealing with today. So, do not stand in the crossway, verse 14, because Edom stood in the crossway, whether it was with the Babylonians, whether it was with the Romans, or today with the hindrance of bringing the exiles back into the land. If you're a believer in Yahusha and you want to emigrate to Israel, no way, it's not going to happen unless you deny Messiah and you convert to Judaism. And many people are doing it. Many people are doing it. They will not allow 
regular immigration. They're standing in the way of the return of the ten northern tribes or the followers that have upheld the Messiah. So do not stand in the crossway. Edom stood in the crossway and tried to halt the migration firstly of the Jews, the true Jews that were trying to leave Jerusalem at the time of the Babylonian exile. And then later in the second cycle, they tried to halt the migration of the Jews as they were fleeing as the Romans came down and destroyed the temple in 70 of the Common Era. Remember, there were two sects of Jews, authentic real Jews that were in the land. There was the royal Negro class, which was the high class traveling merchant class that tried to escape and eventually went down to West Africa and established the kingdom of Judah. And then there was the poorer class, which were the Fehalim, the Middle Eastern Fehalim. Fehalim is a term that was coined by the historians David Ben-Gurion, who was the first prime minister of Israel, and the historian um, Ben-Zavi, who was the first president of Israel. They established, when they came into the land at the beginning of the 20th century, that the Arabs that were in the land, they were actually the real Jews that had remained in the land since 70 and they had become converted to Islam at the time of the Mohammedans because they couldn't afford to pay the jizya tax. They would have either lost the land, which they were totally dedicated to, this poor migrant class, or they had the choice of keeping the land and converting. Many did, but secretly believe in the orthodox um, scriptures of the New Testament on pain of death. This is the reality. So everything that's up is down, what's black is white, and we've been served up a bunch of lies. But this has been exposed, but many people don't want to listen because it is politically incorrect when you've got such great financial funding of Zionism, Christian Zionism, and all of that. But reality strikes a hard core to those of us that love the word. So again, we have to look at the whole context of this as Edom stood in the crossways trying to prevent the migration of the true Jews, whether that was the royal Negro house of Judah or whether that was the migrant class of Fehalim. They still tried to prevent their um, escape from Jerusalem and the Fehalim have ended up remaining there under the Romans, later they remained there, under the Byzantines, and then finally they succumbed to the sword of Islam under the Mohammedans in the 6th and 7th century. Tough times. But the prophetic forward in this 13th and 14th verse speaks of refugees from the heathen nations. There's going to be refugees that are going to come from the nations fleeing this judgment. Because do you know how many people have tried to um, go over to Israel? They've tried to emigrate there. There are many people, even in the Hebrew Roots movement, that have gone over there, tried to start all kinds of ministries and whatnot. And they go under there and they hide their light under a basket. Because if they truly start speaking about their New Testament faith and their belief in Yahushua, they're done, they're out. There's many that have, like Ephraim, it says in the book of Yasha, they left, the la- they left to go to the promised land too early. 
And what happens if you leave before the prophecy is ready? You will be destroyed. Zechariah tells us that the land needs to be cleansed first before we go back to it. So there's going to be a whole bunch of people that are going to be caught up in the cleansing of the land of Israel by fire. Zechariah tells us two-thirds are going to be destroyed by fire, and that's going to be the um, west coast from um, Tel Aviv all the way forward. You see this in the scriptures that this prophetic forward speaks of refugees from the heathen nations fleeing from Israel as this judgment of Zechariah 13.8 unravels. And two-thirds excuse me, will be caught up in the fire and then one-third will remain and they will become refugees awaiting for what? What will they wait for? If the fire has come and there's a third, one third left, they're going to be refugees in a desolate land waiting for what? What does the Bible say? Waiting for the flame, the point, the saviors that will come from the nations. That's the believers in the Malkitzedic Yahusha as high priest who will go and establish biblical Israel in this world. Because his kingdom is going to come. In fact, it's within us. So this is what we're waiting for in these days. You're going to see the saviors, Ephraim, the flame, which is the point, licking up that which remains in the land and bringing forth the final third prophecy of this book. Let's look at verse 15. For the Yom Yahuwah, the day of Yahuwah, is near upon all nations. Meaning the confederacies, all of these alliances that the fake Jews have made in the nations with the banks, with the cartels, are going to be exposed. What's going on in Hollywood is all part of the alliances and the confederacies being exposed. What's going on in Washington, D.C., with the political shakeup is these confederacies and alliances are being exposed. And if you follow the money, where does the money go? It always connects back to the Ashkenazi Rothschild banking system, which is Edom. Now, my wife told me after last week's part one teaching, she says, I wasn't tracking with a lot of it. I was like, really? Yeah, she's like, yeah, I, wasn't. I had to listen to it a couple of times. So it is a little bit, I hope that I'm not losing you. It's a lot to take in because we're going against the grain, kicking against the goods. Verse 15, for the day of Yahuwah is near upon all the nations. As you have done, it shall be done to you. Your reward shall return upon your own head. Edom, whatever you did, you stole the identity of the Jews and you said that you were the Sephardim. So then you invited the Ashkenazi to come in and you made a, a confederacy with them. And then what did they do? 
They stole the identity of the Jews, and you have become their servants, the servant class in the state of Israel. Now, what has been done to you and what you've done to others is finally going to be done to you by the flame of Joseph, who is the rightful heirs to the name Israel and the land of Israel. If you have ears to to hear and eyes to see, I hope you can see this, because this is huge. This is huge. Verse 16, for you have drunk upon my Kadosh holy mountain. What? You remember Herod the Edomite? What was he involved in? He was allowing an illegitimate priesthood to run the sacrifices at the time of Yahushua, Caiaphas. So yes, you were involved in holy sacrifices that you, by you being involved in them, actually made them profane. Because the Edomites have no right to the priesthood. You can call it a Levitical priesthood. You can call it that, but John the Baptist knew better, didn't he? And he said, no, I will not have a part of that. I'm paraphrasing. He went out to the desert and he was the true high priest of the order of Aaron, and he was not involved in the corruption of the Edomites that was going up on the mount. So you have drunk upon a cup upon my holy mountain, so shall all the nations drink continually. Yes, they shall drink, and they shall swallow down, and they shall be as though they had not been. So This is talking about now this third cycle. What we are finding right now is Christian Zionism and the Hebrew Roots Messianic movement, they're both supporting the same end time goal. That is establishing the Ashkenazi Jews, which are not Jews, they're Edomites, to partake of the drink offerings up on the mountain. And what's going to happen if you align yourself with that altar? Hebrews says, if you align yourself with that altar, then you're despising the son of glory and you have no right to eat of the altar of which we will eat, which is up where the disciples are buried, up on the Mount of Olives near the red heifer altar on which Yahusha, who is the one that is taken from inside the gates, outside the gates to cleanse everybody in the gates. If that doesn't blow your mind, then I don't know what is. This is the biggest thing because you and I, it's happening all around us. And the deceptions, the end time game is establishing Edomites with drink offerings. Christian Zionism is going straight for it. The Messianic Hebrew Roots Movement is going straight for it. And the Ashkenazi are chuckling behind the Talmud at your naivety. Absolute naivety. You think that you're going to be able to name the name of Yahusha or Jesus on that drink offering? There is no way. And that is what John Hagee, that is what the prominent teachers in the Hebrew Roots movement, they're all on the same bus to destruction. Because if you tie a string around it, either Yahusha is your high priest... Or an Edomite is going to be your high priest. That's it. 
tie a string around your end time theology. I know there's a lot of excuses right now. Oh, well, we know. Yeah, we love the Torah, but we don't have to keep all of it because we can't, because we're not in the land, because of this excuse, that excuse, you know. But at the end of the day, all of those excuses are going to go away and you're going to have to make a choice. And at the end of the day, you'll be so far down the road You'll be like the Titanic right on top of an iceberg and you won't be able to turn that ship around because you won't have the understanding. You'll just go straight in. And I'm telling you, I see it more and more. People are getting more and more entrenched in Zionism, Messianic, Judaism, and the Edomite conspiracy. And it is dangerous. Yahweh said the true Edomites have, ha- have laid their hand on Israel's substance. What does that mean? What does that mean? They stole their identity. They stole their heritage. And they have entered into our gates. Our gates is the land of Israel that was promised to the sons of Joseph. Given to them by deed. By an oath of swearing. Now in my Bible, Jacob, who is Israel, who gave the right to his name, he didn't lay his hand on Judah. He didn't lay his hand on Benjamin. He didn't lay his hand on Levi. And there's not one verse to support that. But, Teaching this is absolutely insulting to those that believe he laid his hands on Judah. He didn't. They have presented themselves, these Edomites, to be true Israel, even before the Ashkenazi did at the end of the 19th and beginning of the 20th century. The Edomites are the Jews known as Sephardim or the Eastern Jew. Some say Sephardim means Spanish or a Spanish Jew. Many will say, well, that really applies to the Jews who came from Spain. But these Eastern Jews were in the land long, long before any Spanish Jew arrived. That was quite some time later. So the Edomites have laid hands on Israel's substance. They've claimed it for themselves, and they are handing it on a silver platter over to the Ashkenazi. And they did that at the beginning of the 20th century. Israel's history and Israel's heritage is actually foretold by the prophet Obadiah. It's amazing if you can see what these scriptures really, really communicate. Let's get ready. We'll go into verse 17. Because what you have to remember is when the Ashkenazi came into the land at the beginning of the 20th century, they were only doing to Edom, the Sephardim, what Edom had done to the real Jews centuries earlier. Yahweh said right here, what Edom has done shall be returned upon them, right? What did they do? 
Well, they came into Israel during the exile by the Romans, took full possession of it, and presented themselves to be the true Israel. But in 1948, the Ashkenazi the European Jew, did the very same thing to Edom. They came into the land, they took Edom's possessions, and they presented themselves to be Israel, just as Edom has done. They're still having fights in Israel over vineyards, Yards, olive groves, and acreage that they stole back in the 40s. And it is what was done to them has now been returned upon their head. This is why some Israelites believe the Ashkenazi are Edomites, because they have the spirit of Edom upon them. The same thing Edom did to Israel was done unto them. So the Sephardic Jews, today they're hated by the Ashkenazi Jews. They're oppressed. But this was supposed to happen because it's prophecy being fulfilled. Verse 17, but upon Mount Zion shall be deliverance and there shall be set apartness and the house of Jacob shall possess their possessions and those who possess them. So the self-titled Jews that were abundant in Western Europe before World War II were actually descendants from the Canaanites. They were from Gopher. They were from Goma. Gopher. Did I say Gopher? They are. They're like Gophers, aren't they? They kind of wiggle and burrow around. Blooming Gophers. From Goma, sorry. They were from Goma. They were from Togomar, which connects us back, of course, to Ashkenaz. Little Gophers. So, now I'll get done and pinged for saying that. Well, that's racist. So, anyway, they're not Shemites at all. The ruling elements that actually infiltrated Rome and then later Germany, they were descendants of Esau. The financiers, the bankers, they were the descendants of Esau, they infiltrated Rome, they infiltrated the aristocracy within Jerusalem, they infiltrated Gaul and Germany. You have to think about this. I mean, my mind is just spinning when I think about the history and the biblical text. Because what group, what group has proven itself capable of defeating the West in the 100-year war? What group? What group has eroded the Western structure of civilization in the 100-year war? Many of you would be like, well, what do you mean the 100-year war? Well, we're in 2018, and the 100-year war began in 1917 with the Bolshevik Revolution. The Bolsheviks, the Ashkenazi, started to erode the Western hemisphere and infiltrate and push into the West. And they had a 100-year plan which has just come into its full fruition of eroding the morals and decadency of the West by infiltrating it with financial corruption, lewdness in the filmmaking industry. That's what they were trying to cleanse in Berlin in the 1920s. It was filthy over there. And that's what they've done. They've infected the mind of our culture so that we've got no morals, we've got no integrity, and our financial banking structure is totally broke because they've infiltrated every sect of society and actually caused rot within it. That was the 100-year plan. And then they bring in the Arabs, remember, Esau, Edom is Mount Seir, and they bring in the Arabs to cause what? Mayhem, 
destruction and to then get the nations to become financially dependent upon Edom because now they need financing for all of their wars, security, and protection from terrorism. So this is the plan, and we can see this. The Arabs are just a tool that Edom uses to bring about the mutual destruction of the nations in this 100-year plan. And some of you are like, what? But anyway, let me, pack, let me go through, because I'm going to be able to show you this all through the Bible text. So, as I was saying, what group has proven itself capable of defeating the West in the 100-year plan? None other than the Ashkenazi, because they infiltrated the highest positions of financials within whether it was the Reich Bank in Germany, the Bank of England, or Wall Street. Think about it. After World War I and the Germans came underneath the heavy yoke of the Versailles Treaty, the German mark's dramatic devaluation began when? I mean, you would have to have a barrel full of German marks to buy a loaf of bread. And then by the end of the day, you'd need two wheelbarrowfuls of German marks to buy a loaf of bread. Because by the end of the day, inflation had caused such an effect. And how did that happen? That happened soon after the Reichsbank was privatized. Well, what do you mean? Because of the crippling effect of the Versailles Treaty, the Germans privatized the Reichsbank. And who were the people that had the money to buy the bank? The Ashkenazi Bolsheviks. And this was back in 1918, 1718. So they privatized the Reichsbank. The Bolsheviks buy the bank. And you've got all these Bolshevik private investors that are now in charge of the currency. So they cause huge inflation that causes the German people to do what? Be evicted from their houses that the Reichsbank now owned... And then they had to sell their possessions, their fine art. And who had the money to buy it? Connect the dots. Because you'll all sit around and watch Schindler's List. And you'll think that it's historical truth. When in reality, it's a work of fiction that Hollywood has presented to the world as truth. And everyone's like, did you watch Schindler's List? It's not a true story. And people really think it's true. It's a work of fiction. With elements, elements of truth in it. But it's a work of fiction. But people today, that's their true history. We've been sold down the river by the Edomites. And the prophet Obadiah is laying it all out for us in this third and final cycle. So, I mean, think about it. Think about the Federal Reserve, 1910. What happened with the Federal Reserve in 1910? Well, they they decide to go on holiday to Jackal Island. And they created the Federal Reserve at Jackal Island. That was in 1910. 
The Federal Reserve, you'll go, well, what's wrong with that? Who owns the Federal Reserve? The Laser Brothers, Israel Moses, Kuhn Loeb, Wahlberg, the Lehman Brothers, Goldman Sachs, and Rothschild. That's who owns the private Federal Reserve. And you know what? This happened back at the turn of the 20th century. And we're still trying to catch up from the last great president that we had. And that last great president on June the 4th, 1963, he said, you know what? We're done with this. And he signed an executive order June 4th, 1963. And he said, no, we are not going to go through the Federal Reserve to print money anymore. We're going to bypass the private Federal Reserve that's owned by these Ashkenazis, June 4th, 1963. And by his executive order, he said, no, we're actually going to go, as the Constitution of these great United States says, we're going to print the money by constitutional right through the treasury. And within six months, he's got a bullet in his head or three, depending on what conspiracy or line you want to buy. And we're trying to get back to that kind of leadership. Wow. And I didn't even grow up over here. And you've got people that have been here for 60 years, 70 years that are still like, ooh. Right? That's because they've, yes, thank you. That's because now you can smoke weed everywhere, right? (laughs) So why think? (laughs) Right? Exactly. They don't want you to think. Get stoned instead. My goodness gracious me. I'm only in verse 18, but we've only got a few verses to go, 21. But Yahweh says that just as Edom has drunk upon his mountain, the land, so shall the heathen come and drink and swallow down. And Edom shall be as though they had not been. So the heathen shall come in and take over, leaving Edom so far behind that it'll be as if they never, ever existed. This is the exact situation that we see that is occurring today. True Edom is so far behind, they're actually hidden from the geopolitical landscape. You can't find them. Do you see the Sephardic involved in finance? Do you see the Sephardic involved? No. They've been taken over. They're so far hidden under the boot of the Ashkenazi. This is exactly what would happen. How many people have made the connection of Edom being the Sephardic Jew in alliance with the Ashkenazi? There's not many people that have made that connection out there. Because if you start making those connections, then you start getting called name. It's called the culture of shut up. If you call me enough names, then maybe you'll get me to be quiet. It actually doesn't work. As I said with me, I just keep on going and then the voice gets louder and louder. But, you know, the Sephardic Jew is almost lost in history. But Yahweh says that this is all supposed to happen. Because in verse 17, Yahweh says Israel will possess its possessions once again. Biblical Israel will make it back into the land. History and heritage will come back. Just as we plundered Egypt, we will plunder the nations, Joseph, and we will be the flame that will return back into the land. Because Egypt... 
Egypt has actually been constructed by the Ashkenazi. A whole system, a whole mortgage system, a whole banking system. It's all a construction of Edom. Those that have stolen the identity. And this is the world that you and I have been born into. And this is the reason that the Ashkenazi are actually in the land of Israel today. They have to be. They have to return to Edom, to the land of Israel, so that the reward will return upon their own head. As Edom came into the land and took Israel's substance and heritage, the Ashkenazi came in and did the same thing to Edom. They're actually fulfilling another prophecy. So the Ashkenazi are supposed to be in the land of Israel, not as Israelites, but as Gentiles, and to return Edom's deed upon their own head, which will, turn, which will excuse me, in turn be returned on their head when Israel becomes a fire and Joseph returns as a flame to lick up the substance. And this is where we're at. Verse 18. And the house of Jacob shall be a fire, and the house of Joseph the flame, and the house of Esau shall become stubble. And they shall kindle them and devour them, and there shall not be any remaining of the house of Esau, for Yahweh has spoken it. And they of the south shall possess the mountains of Esau, and they of the plains the Plishtim, and they shall possess the fields of Ephraim, and the fields of Shomron, and Benjamin shall possess Gilad. Verse 20, And the captivity of this host, the host of the children of Israel, shall possess that of the Canaanites, even to Zarphat, and the captivity of Jerusalem, which is in Sephard, shall possess the cities of the south. A lot of information in those last verses that we don't want to gloss over. Canaanites means Germany, where the majority of Ashkenazi actually settled. Because Zarephath means France and Britain, and Sephard means Spain. But the book of Obadiah ends in this next verse with what's called the comforting of Zion. And the sons of Joseph eventually coming in as that flame and destroying Edom. And the house of Jacob shall be fire, and the house of Joseph a flame, and the house of Esau stubble. And they shall kindle them and devour them, and there shall not be any remaining of the house of Esau, for Yahweh hath spoken it. This is the confrontation between Joseph and Esau right from the biblical text. Think about it. Jacob, he fled to Laban, right? And what does Laban mean? Laban means milky white, like an albino, right? That would Laban was, of course, his mother's brother. And then he married two sisters. They were daughters of Laban. 
And their two maidservants, and they had what? Eleven sons. We know the story. We know the biblical account. Benjamin, though, his twelfth son, was born much later. And upon the birth of Joseph, his eleventh son, Jacob decided to do what? What did Jacob decide to do? But he only decided to do it once Joseph was born. Huh? Go back to the land. What? Once Joseph is born, recognized and established and brought forth in the end times, that's when we go back to the land. So this message that is being communicated is a very important message in waking up and birthing Joseph so that Jacob, Israel, will go back into the land. Even the sages have said for over 2,000 years that after the birth of Joseph, Jacob no longer feared Esau. Once Joseph comes up and wakes up and actually has the courage to teach this, to communicate this and expose the Ashkenazi Edomite confederacy, Joseph will awaken as a multitude in the nations and no longer will Israel be afraid and in hiding, but will go back into the land. Jacob, Israel, no longer feared Esau since he knew that Joseph and Joseph alone was capable of and destined to defeat Esau. Wow. Genesis 30, verse 25. And it came to pass when Rachel had borne Joseph that Jacob said unto Laban, Send me away that I may go back to my own land and to my country of inhabitants. Selah. What a difference the birth of Joseph makes. That's why I am so convinced that we must communicate this awakening of the Malkitzedic priesthood to Joseph in the nations. Obadiah 1.18 again tells us of this fire and this flame. And then Obadiah concludes, And the captivity of this host of the children of Israel shall possess of the Canaanites, even to Zarephath, the captivity of Jerusalem, which is in Sephard, shall possess the cities in the south. And saviors, that's the Malkitzedic priesthood of Joseph, the flame licking up the substance after Israel is caught afire with two-thirds of it being wiped out and a third remaining in Poverty awaiting the spearhead to come. Those saviors shall come upon Mount Zion to judge the Mount of Esau. And the kingdom shall be Yahuwah's. We will come upon what they call the Temple Mount and we will judge it. This is not the Temple Mount. 
This is the Roman Anatonia fortress. And the Kotel, the western wall, that is the foundational wall to a Roman fortress that housed 10,000 Roman soldiers caught up in carnality. But if you want to travel 600 feet further south, down into the city of David, that is where the true temple will be built. And it is a temple that will be administered under the Malkitzedic high priest, Yahusha, our Messiah, once he sets his feet down and splits the Mount of Olives. This is the real, real biblical prophecy of truth, not the phony Zionism that they are teaching today. Not the phony Zionism. Zarephath was the name of a township actually on the coast of Lebanon. Zarephath, look at that verse, um, the last few verses there. Zarephath actually belonged to Zidon. Zidon, you can find that in 1 Kings 17.9. Zarephath was also the name in later Hebrew for France. For France. And its neighboring Zarephath is mentioned in the book of Obadiah here in the 20th verse in connection with the exile of where Joseph went. Joseph isn't limited just to America, but all through the nations. The captivity of their host of the children of Israel shall possess that of the Canaanites all the way up to France, Zarephath. That's the first exile, or the exile of the ten tribes, commonly called the lost ten tribes, who reach from the land of the Canaanites, Germany, to Zarephath, which is France, and eventually into Britam. Britam meaning, in Hebrew, Brit, Am, the covenant people, or the Anglo-Saxon sons of Isaac. It's amazing stuff. The Hebrew word um, hail, um, translated in the King James as host, can also mean first. And most old Jewish commentaries will actually understand this verse to refer to the first exile, meaning that of the ten northern tribes taken into exile by the Assyrians. But they also tended to understand the place named Zarephath, in this case, as referring to France and its area to France and England together, and thus either expressly or by implication, the ten northern tribes made it as far as the British Isles. And Stephen Collins does an excellent job on the migration of the tribes, way better than I could ever do. So if you want to look into the migration of the tribes, check out Stephen Collins' great work there. But Obadiah, he prophesied about the eventual destruction of Edom as a distinct nation, even though the Edomite... Are you following me? I'm looking at my wife right here. Um, cause I, I, are you? You seem to be glazed over. Am I gonna ha- are we going to have to talk about this? We're gonna have to, this is what I'm going to be doing tonight. She's going to be, now, now, tell me that one again. She was like, I'm so excited about your teaching today. I was like, really? She's like, oh, I'm so excited. You're going to be teaching this and that. I said, no, 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 that's next week. I'm doing Obadiah part two today. She's like, oh. <laughs> She's like, oh, okay. It's 
It's a tough audience when you've got the missus sitting up front. It's a tough audience, I tell you. But Obadiah does prophesy. He really does. He really does, honey. He does prophesy the destruction of Edom as a distinct nation, even though the Edomites could and would survive as citizens, even in other countries. Because Edom will be punished. Unless what? Obadiah was an Edomite. Unless they repented. You can always repent. You can always repent. Do you know how many times I've had to repent publicly for teaching something that I later found out was in error? I don't understand teachers. And they just get more stubborn and more stubborn. Don't you realize if you repent, then Yahweh will elevate and bring you into another season of greatness. You just admit your mistakes. You're human. I used to teach that, what, I mean, I have a teaching back in Calvary Chapel. I still have the cassette where I was teaching on the Ten Commandments. And I said this, well, of course, you can't keep the Sabbath. I actually taught that. And, you know, once every 15 years, I'll replay that, you know, if you can find a tape recorder anywhere. And just, oh, but humble roots, humble roots, right? But I had to repent of that. And that's when they kicked me out. But, you know, it brought me into a new season of keeping Shabbat and teaching the Shabbat. So anyway, be that as it may. Edom are a small percentage that moved in when the Romans came and they aided in the expulsion first of the royal Negro class of Jews and later the conversion of the poorer Fehalim, the worker class of Jews. Basically, they stole the Jews' identity and they said, we are the Sephardics. We are the Sephardics. That happened after the turn of the Romans. Then in 1948, it turned on their head because they made an alliance with the Ashkenazi, thinking we'll get all this help. But then the Ashkenazi totally took over and the Sephardics have what? Disappeared. Really, they're a very, very oppressed class of Jews. It was done unto them. So if we accept the given identification of Edom and that Joseph is destined to defeat Edom, then it stands to reason that Joseph must be found amongst a people with proven ability to defeat Edom. Who are the people? Who are the people? The lost ten tribes were in Zarephath, which in modern Hebrew means France. But in biblical terms was understood to mean both France and the area to its north, the Isles of Britain. Only when Joseph, only then, only when Joseph, scattered in the nations, awakes to this confederacy, this Edomite conspiracy, where the Edomites betrayed and stole the true Jews' identity, becoming the Middle Eastern Sephardics, who in turn made a confederacy with the Gentiles, the Ashkenazi Khazars, who in turn then stole their identity. Are you tracking this? Yeah, I mean, I had to literally table it out. Because I'm reading all this history, I'm like, okay, I got this straight. I mean, you really have to, and then I'm reading the Bible again and again and again. And finally, it all starts to lock in. So I don't expect you 
Tamara, just, it's just like, oh, yes, perfect. Yes, got figured that one out. I mean, it, you have to let this marinate, sit on it, pray about it, look at the scriptures. But at the end of the day, these Ashkenazi Khazars made a confederacy with those that, that were there before the Sephardics. They all, both of them, stole the identity of the true Jews. And now their job is doing what? Fermenting strife by using Mount Seir or Arabah, the valley of Arabah, the feminine for Arab. They're using the Arabs to ferment terror amongst the Western nations to destabilize them so they go to war with the Arabah, having to get financing from the Ashkenazi so the Ashkenazi get more powerful as the nations become destabilized. You understand why Great Britain is not great anymore? You understand why Great Britain gave back India? Because we were broke. America just in the past few years finally paid off their debt to the bankers from World War II. They just finally paid off their debt. So this is all what it's about. We've got to get into another war, right? For the Ashkenazi to continue to destabilize and cripple the nations, we've got to get into another war. Let's use the Valley of Arabah, the Arabs, to bring about the corrosion and wearing down of the West. It's a simple ploy, and it has been developed. You know, chess was actually developed in Persia, I mean, it's a Middle Eastern game. Where do you think they... I mean, it's chess. Who can outmaneuver and give you some ploys? And we're using the pawns, the Arabs, to get the work done. It's chess. That's what it is. So as we find this coming and awakening in these days, it's really time for people whether it's in America or Europe, to wake up. We need to wake up to how the Ashkenazi and Edom are using the Arabs in this end-time geopolitical battle. I mean, we look right here in the biblical text, and we make the connection with France, we make the connection with Britain, we use and look at the Valley of Arabah, which is the feminine for Arab, and we make these connections, and then I look back in history, remember the Battle of the Tours? The Battle of the Tours was when the French turned back the invading Mohammedans. The Mohammedans, Islam, the Arabs, they got within 150 miles of Paris. I mean, they were 150 miles outside of Paris, Paris, and finally, finally the French woke up and they secured Europe. And they actually secured Europe from Islam for 700 years until the fall of Constantinople when the Muslim breached the Eastern Gateway, when they un, un, um, overran Constantinople in, in 1453, I think it was. I mean, and now we're seeing this all again. And then people don't even realize coming from England that the Muslims even went all the way up and took over an island in England. That happened, um, well, when was that? That was in the 16th, 
1609 because England um, actually was at war with the Barbary Muslims. The first war the Americans ever had was with the Barbary Muslims, the Barbary pirates. But the Barbary pirates, they went up the coast of England and they took over Bristol. They actually took over an island in the city of Bristol called Lundy Island. And why were they doing that? Because the, um, the um, Islamics, they were trying to take the British, the white British, as slaves. They were the biggest slavers. Islam was the biggest slavers, of course, you know. So they went all the way up to England in 1609, the Barbary Muslim pirates, and they occupied Lundy Island, which was right outside the city of Bristol. I mean, this is crazy stuff. Now, if you go to Bristol today, I mean, it's totally Islamified. I mean, there's mosques everywhere. You don't want to go to Bristol. You certainly don't want to go to Birmingham. I mean, no offense if you're in Birmingham or Bristol, but, you know, you might want to think about moving to Scotland or something. I mean, crazy stuff. So all of this is just telling us that Obadiah, the prophecy of Obadiah, is communicating the the. Edomites are using the Arabs as a tool to destabilize the West and that we should awake to this duplicity because when we awake to the duplicity, we'll no longer get involved in these useless wars because these wars are used to fund Edom and it's a deception that our state and our world is in today. But how the Arabs are used to wear down the nations and indebt themselves to Edom and finance more, more wars is just is, is a terrible thing. If you look at the big banks today, whether it's um, the Deutsche Bundesbank in Germany, whether it's the um, European Central Bank or the Bank of England or Wall Street, these are all owned by the Edomites, all of them. So this confederacy and this alliance is exposed. But now I want to just conclude and switch gears because there's a lot of history. There's a lot to take in. But at the end of the day, you and I may see this confederacy. We may expose this confederacy on a geopolitical level. We can see it now in the Bible. But what I'm concerned about is being ready and prepared. Because Yahushua said to us at the end of the day, yes, we can do this, we can travel here, we can travel there. But at the end of the day, we need to clean the inside of the cup. And I look at my life and I go, okay, where have I made confederacies in my life? Where have I made alliances? Think about this. I mean, have I made alliances? I mean, at some point, we made alliances and confederacies with sin, did we not? And Yahweh demands that we, we forsake those confederacies. In John chapter 4, it says confederacies with James chapter 4, verse 4. Confederacies with the world make us what? Make us Edomites. Confederacies with the world, James 4, verse 4. They make us Edomites. If you love the world, you're an enemy, an Edomite of Elohim. So we cannot love the world. And I look and I go, I see so many people that have made confederacies and alliances. You may have made a confederacy and alliance with your doctor. 
and decided you're going to vaccinate all your children. Well, you might want to question those kind of confederacies and alliances because in the end, it'll all come down on your next generation's head. You may have made confederacies and alliances in your marriage. You may have compromised with a husband. You may have compromised with a wife and made a confederacy. And eventually... It's going to come down double upon your head. At some point, you have to... And wives and husbands are looking like this. And I'm talking like this with my eyes closed. I am not looking at anyone. But I'm saying, we, I have to look at these. What confederacies and alliances have I made, have you made? That is what Obadiah is truly calling us to do. Because then we'll have the eyes to see and the clarity and the sanctification so that we can see this war are coming. Because if we're soiled and our garments are soiled, we're going to be so disinformed. We're not going to have the eyes to see because sanctification brings forth revelation. Confederacies bring blindness and darkness. We can't pretend to be something that we're not. We can't make confederacies with the world. We can't make confederacies and alliances with sin. We need to be transparent. And many of you will go, oh, well, I've lost friends. Yes, but you'll gain a family. You'll become the house of Joseph. I mean, I've lost so many friends along the way that I thought would come along for the journey. But you know, no, they wouldn't. So you let those confederacies and alliances go for truth and for righteousness. I made a confederacy and an alliance with Christmas. I let it go. I made a transference of that and an alliance and a confederacy with Hanukkah and Purim, and I let them go because I found that these are nothing more than confederacies of man. We make confederacies all over the time. Maybe you made a confederacy with your eyes and you're looking at something you shouldn't be looking at. Well, be like Job and make a confederacy with your eyes unto Yahuwah. Make a confederacy with your tongue and your ears. What kind of confederacy have you made with the movies that you bring into your house? I've made a confederacy with my wife that I will not choose movies. Because when I was a kid, 11 years old, my mum gave me a video card. And I was allowed to go down the video store at 11 years old with my 7-year-old brothers and rent anything. That wasn't good. So Matthew cannot be trusted with renting movies because i'll be like oh it looks like a great action movie and the next thing you know because i wanted to see some machine guns you've had to listen to f-bombs and all kinds of stuff so i gave that up i'm like you go choose the stuff because i'm not doing it so that's a confederacy me and my wife have made together to protect our house we all have to do that this is what the prophet requires of us to take it to the next Next level of discernment. Shut up, Matthew. But there's a lot to think about, isn't there? There's a lot to think about. I take away from this truly the duplicity, the alliances, and the confederacies. Not only on a biblical level with the geopolitics and exposing those that, who say there are Jews that are not, but are in fact the synagogue of Satan. But then I take it to a personal level and I look at my life and I look at those around me and I go, no, okay, where in my life have I made alliances or confederacies? And they may have just snuck up on you. They may have snuck up on you. And then you've got to go, no. And then we do the deep work. And then we'll see this even more clearly. 
So this was a great thing. And this was all birthed out of um, the embassy being moved to Jerusalem a few weeks ago. And look where it took us. But I hope it was a blessing. It was a blessing for me, for sure. Questions, comments, anybody? Yes. How many of the? No, oh, you're on. How many of the individuals that are being used in this know what they're doing? Well, I think on the higher levels, when you're talking about the financiers and the politicians, oh yeah, very much so. I think um, it's just a question of um, the people down. It's it's really the Nicolaitan pyramid system. Those at the top have the understanding and the illumination, the enlightenment. They get to see everything, and those on the lower tiers of the pyramid, they're the slave class that don't get to to see. And that's really how the Ashkenazi has become so powerful is illumination, which is from the Luciferic realm, and then making a slave class that supports it underneath through um, interest and loans, which has you know, been going on for thousands of years. They were kicked out of England for that very purpose. So, yeah, questions in the back? Anyone at all? No? So anyway... Tough stuff, but I hope we can marinate it and see and then have eyes to see as things become unfolded in this nation with the Hollywood, with the FBI, with Wall Street and the presidency right now as people are truly, truly questioning the confederacies. I mean, even Donald Trump, he's like, well, he, he's even hired his own security team because he's not making a confederacy with the Secret Service because they made a confederacy with Obama. They're, not, they're all sold out. So this is all starting to come unfold, and that's why you're seeing these big, big politicians going to jail or being stripped because of this time that we're in this third wheel of exposure. So, Father, we pray and we thank you for this time. We thank you, Abba, for your word, and we thank you for the words of the prophet Obadiah. May we speedily, Abba, expect your day to come and the return of the house of Joseph from the nations, a flame to lick up the fire and to begin this final phase as the establishment of biblical Israel comes about through the redemptive work of your son, Yahushua, our high priest. Amen. Amen. All right.